love the generative moment during a really deep talk when the world falls away and you forget time and place. A really engaging conversation can do this. I've always had listening as my superhero power. I think listening helps build a great conversation. Real listening is done with an open curiosity and very little of your own agenda. It may sound easy, but it can be really hard to do. I like to make connections between ideas and people. Why do we connect with other human beings? I think it's part of the hierarchy of needs. Comfort, connection, community. I don't like the question, what do you do? I don't equate what you do with who you are. We all have multiple interests, passions, hobbies, families, backstories, and futurescapes that make us who we are. Every interaction changes us, some in big and some in small ways. I hope this podcast changes you. Ana Giraldo Kerr is the CEO of Shades of Success, Inc., a learning and development organization she founded 18 years ago to help leaders and companies navigate change, uncertainty, and inequity. She started her business to leverage 15 years of professional experiences in corporate America, where she worked in the financial services, healthcare, and technology industries. As a technology analyst, her insights have been featured on CNN, CNBC, and PBS, in the New York Times and Business Week, to name a few. As an executive coach and leadership strategist for the past 18 years, Anna partners with professionals who want to strengthen their competence as inclusive and equitable mentors and leaders. She helps, nav- she helps clients navigate leadership and management challenges through the exploration and understanding of individual and organizational mindsets, biases, and assumptions. Anna has served as an advisor and board member to numerous organizations dedicated to the empowerment of women in underrepresented groups. In 2006, her editorial commentary on immigration and education was awarded national recognition at the first National Ethnic Media Awards in Washington, D.C., and collects stories of racism and identity-based discrimination in the town of Needham, Massachusetts, to influence systemic change. Most recently, the Newton Needham Regional Chamber of Commerce recognized Anna as one of the 50 most influential business people of color in the Boston Metro West area. You can learn more about Anna at www.annagiraldokerr.com. Felicia Ryan, and I'm your host of Hi Felicia Podcast. I'm a little discombobulated today. I had some technical issues earlier, but my guest today is Anna, and um, I was practicing your name dutifully and then realized that I'd re- I prefer you say it because um, I, w- I hate it when I mess up somebody's name. So please say your name for me. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, um, there are two ways of saying it. Uh, Anna Geraldo Kerr. Or in Spanish is Ana Giraldo Kerr. So you pick. <laughs> I'll call you Ana because I think that's there you beautiful. Go. That's wonderful. My Thank tw- you. That's my 12 years of Spanish that I have not used properly. So. <laughs> 
In in Spanish class, my name was Felicia. So, of course, yeah, I, I love your name. It's just you know, it has a tone, it has a rhythm. It can be Spanish or it can be Italian. It's of a Latin der- derivative. So, when I go to Europe, people like to say it different ways, and I enjoy that because I then feel like I'm at home. So. So thank you for being on the podcast today. You and I know each other um, through different coach circles. Um, I think you're you're one of the few coaches that I know that has both a Martha Beck um, certification and a Well Coaches certification. I know you have other um, education and um, degrees as well, but you're one of those rare breeds like I am that that has done both. So I thought that was unusual. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's so um, you know, coaching as a profession requires that you keep learning. So there's always going to be some some um, you know new certification or a new even just a, a class to to keep up to speed, to learn new, new skills, and to be able to you know serve our clients right in different ways. The world changes; we have to move along with it. And how, um, I think, you know, we had a variety of topics that we wanted to talk about on the podcast today. I love some of the recent work that you've been doing, but just in terms of like, when you think about your work in the world, how do you describe what you do? (laughs) That's a good one. Um, I was hoping for that question later on, but I guess (laughs) (laughs) it's like, okay, uh, it's almost like the equivalent of the meaning of life, you know? I know. as the world changes, as um, new challenges unfold before our eyes, as uh, you know, last year has been for many of us. Um, and I, for me, the way I've, de- I've described my work, um, sometimes I feel like I'm a Sherpa because I feel um, I help facilitate change. Sometimes um, I feel like I'm a partner. You know, there is, so I feel like there is this, almost like this adaptability that I need to have in order to serve clients. And mostly, you know, my, my, my traditional title is uh, leadership strategist and coach. So I coach leaders and I help them strategize how to be better. You know, and that's very, a very short description that we can get into a little bit later. So from that perspective, how do I help them in many ways, depending on what they need? And so, and over time, my role has changed because um, along the leadership journey of anyone, there are many different points, you know, from the moment, maybe the day one when an individual realizes they are leaders. Because a lot of us don't, we have a very um, distinct understand, understanding of leadership and we equate it to a formal authority for the most part, there are leadership programs, how to be a leader, which is usually senior roles or, um, you know, a promotion of sorts. There's always like an end goal. And what I've been starting to, um, you know, promote, advocate for for the last several years uh, is to consider leadership to be a practice. And more of a day part of your daily life. So that would mean that everyone is a leader in their own right, in their own environment. So that is where I've been. I've been um, helping um, 
move that idea along and helping those who want to explore that uh, figure out how to go about it. I love that. I think that the, you're taking like the core nugget of sort of uh, coach training or coach experience and applying it in a broader, more flexible way. So I think sometimes the coach title is very can be limiting in how people think about yeah. it. But I love the idea that you're you're sherpering sherpaing sherpaing people along. <laughs> um, t- uh, just to backtrack a little bit, I know that perhaps you and I have talked about this before, but um, tell me about your um, your childhood, your background, your growing up, your experience. Sure. Um, um. It's, um, I'm, I always, I often, um, think about this question, uh, because I feel, how do I condense, you know, 50 plus years of life, right? Yeah. And what I always think of is, um, you know, that, that song, Seasons of Love, you know, that 525,600 minutes. Yeah. And then I keep like, oh my God, there's so much time that I've been on this earth. So it's kind of, you know, it really makes me pause when I hear this question, even though you may, you may argue that it could be, I can just start, you know, rattling off uh, different identifiers, right? I'm this and that and the other, which I do. I, you know, I'm a mom to a teenager, and so I need help there. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> I, I can recommend a podcast on that. Oh, um, I, I'm, you know, well, I feel, you in, I feel you in that regard because I have a, um, I'm a stepmom to a 15-year-old girl, so mm-hmm. she's... Yeah, it's, um, you know, coach, thank God for, you know, being uh, a coach because I've been, you know, self-coaching for one and trying to apply some coaching techniques mm-hmm. to, to yeah. the family in general. But, uh, but I'm, uh, all joking aside, I was born and raised in Peru. Um, and I lived there for the first, I don't know, it depends. It, it changes as time goes by. <laughs> in my teens, I moved to the U.S., to New York. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I moved to Boston to do uh, my graduate studies. And, you know, as the story goes, I met a boy, got married, and never left. <laughs> uh, I was going to go back to New York, and, you know, it just happened. And, um, you know, now we've been married since uh, ugh, 22 something years. Oh, that can't be uh, possible. And- You're so young. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad this is on the record there. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, I have, so, um, I've done many, diff- have many different uh, ways of, of describing myself because of that, uh, my background, you know, so I, I'm also, I identify as an immigrant mm. and I identify as a, a first generation college student. I was the first in my family to attend college and I ended up with two master's degrees and even sometimes I come back to, should I do a doctoral degree, you know, because yeah. I just love learning. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe for another lifetime. And then I do also, um, do um i started my business about about 18 years ago so i went uh, the regular route of going to college while working actually was the immigrant way of of going to work full-time while going to college you know full-time because i needed to pay for my tuition um so um and then i ended up going working you know in a business corporate america so i had that experience and then i moved into my um the small business um 
environment that I'm in now. So it's been, you know, lots of ups and downs and lots of um, different experiences that have really shaped who I am. And I continue to change. I mean, now having a child, you know, and then having a teenager and so on. So and then what uh, everything that transpired last year uh, with a pandemic uh, and well, depending on who you talk to, there's been more than one pandemic uh, in terms of uh, racial unrest and reckoning. Yeah. You know, there's so many things, and how could they not shape who you are? You know. I love though that you um, encapsulated uh, probably a very rich background and experience into how that's helped shape your perspective. I hear a lot of empathy in the way that you talk about things, and a lot of mindfulness and kindness as well so i hear um i hear your i hear that as a strength in terms of the the way that you would bring that to your work and uh, you know having had previous conversations with you about i think you were actually one of the first people that introduced me to the idea of a microaggression and what that was um Mm. Do you do you want to talk a little bit about that, or would you prefer sure. to? Yeah, please. No, no, yeah, it's fine. I am. Um, that has been um, the way. I, and when I um, came across this term, which is now you know become part of the general conversations in everyday life, depending yeah. on who you talk to, um, it was the way I was introduced to was uh, as micro inequities, and uh, the term was coined by uh, Professor Mary Rowe from MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And she, I have the privilege of having her as a colleague, a friend, and a mentor. Uh, And she and I have collaborated on several uh, papers, and we're still trying to figure out what else to do. So she she, um, introduced me, or I was introduced to her work about in early 2000s. And when I found out that there was a term to what I had been experiencing as a woman of color in corporate America in an environment where there were not that many people that looked like me. And this is, uh, you know, um, I moved to the U.S. uh, just for reference. I moved to the U.S. in the early 80s. So between the early 80s until 2000, I was navigating, you know, the corporate world, uh, New York City at that time, and then uh, Boston later, and trying to fit in, trying to figure out, you know, being um, a person with a different name, different uh, sounding accents, you know, you name it, different way of looking, right? Yeah. So, so there were so many instances of situations where I felt like people, you know, didn't make me feel comfortable that I wanted, they didn't want me to be there or they wanted me to play a certain role that made me feel really uh, not valued. And I had no idea what that was. Until I came across this term, and then I felt like finally I had been, um, you know, sometimes uh, folks are trying to uh, figure out when something is wrong with their bodies, right, health-wise. And they find, oh, is this could be this um, situation, and they, they have a name for it. That is felt so relieving yeah. to be able to finally, okay, so there is something out there that happens to people. Okay, so that really pushed me to really dig into it, you know, I, and that is when I found, and that found out about this term in a conference, um, I tried to figure out a way to uh, connect to with MIT, and I had some contacts there, and I was so 
thankful to Robert Martinez at that time, who worked in uh, human resources at MIT, who was a colleague that I knew at the time. And he introduced me to Mary Rowe. And that changed my life. So microinequity. So that's kind of like the side conversation of how it happened and why there's such a big, um, um, you know, force or my, the passion behind this is uh, when, when is, uh, there are situations where people feel undervalued, when people feel that they are not uh, seen, they're not heard, they feel excluded, devalued, undermined, you name it. Anything negative that makes you feel that you're not good enough. Okay? And these are, um, they show up in different ways. The ones that we know now is when people actually directly attack or ask you a question, which is more on the aggressive side, and that's where the microaggression comes. So there's a distinction. Yeah. You know, like when people say, so where are you from and why are you there? Or, you know, or even people who say, oh, that's a nice accent. They may not be aware, but you're saying. Oh, did I lose you? Of course. You know? But um, it, it is um, in equity and inclusion work, there is this concept of um, intent and impact. So your intent may have been uh, good, positive, but the impact that it created was not. So, so uh, unfortunately, you know, and, uh, when we started this um, research, or at least on my end, Mary had been doing it since uh, the 70s. So she's been more than 50 plus years of doing this type of research for MIT. But when I started, it was more about um, the little interactions, you know, like when people get um, dropped off emails at work, or people don't ask everybody to go to lunch, or it's kind of those, those almost uh, unconscious. Are they really doing this on purpose, or you know, they kind of makes you question. Now things have changed. You know, now now things have escalated, and most of these micros have become macros to the point of uh, where people's lives are being lost. Yeah. Okay, so so there's been the pendulum has swung all the way to the other side. But I would want to stress, if anything, from this, and this is a discussion that can go on forever, but the one point I want to leave the audience with is that it starts with the micros, that the micros lead us to the macros, because the micros are the ones that we we perpetrate on one another on a daily basis, the way that we um, address people, the way that we, um, you know, try to uh, push people uh, out of the way, um, metaphorically speaking, so that we can shine more than they can, and so on. So we do those little, small, you know, quote-unquote small events every day, then we are building that muscle. Then we're building the muscle of exclusion. See, so, so it's important to catch those micros um, and so that we don't escalate, we don't, we don't get gather the strength to, to potentially create a macro incident. I would um, ask, just in full disclosure, if there's anything that I ask you or a way that I ask a question during this conversation that um, there's any unconscious or subconscious bias or um, like a microaggression in, in the statement if you would just bring that to my attention so that I can be aware oh. of it. Um, okay. 
And so far, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologize. I'm, I'm terrible with everybody's names. So it wasn't that you just have this really beautiful sounding name. I knew that I could get Anna correct, but I was not confident in my ability to pronounce your last name correctly. And I felt... Um, I felt un- I felt um, a little self-conscious about not pronouncing it correctly. So it wasn't that it was just a different name. It happens to be for me, names are really a hard thing. <laughs> so it's I, I promise it's not just because your name is a little different on the end. So <laughs> not not at all. Not a problem. And and you know um, and what we are this exchange, for example, is a great example of how nuanced this issue is because there is no one okay everybody who doesn't know how to pronounce the name or is microaggressing somebody is not like that is there is an intent behind it right in this case i didn't i didn't feel any intent if anything you're trying to be accommodating so there is the context in which this actions happen are a huge uh factor yeah. So, uh, and for example, if there were, if there, there would have been something, let's say that when we were prepping right before today, um, and something would have maybe, that would have come up uh, in emails and our prep conversations, I would have said something uh, because, I, because I, I feel comfortable, right. you know, and because there is a relationship that is, you know, this, uh, how about this other? And that, and, and it's also, and, and this is for the other side, right? The people that are, and the receiving end is is tragic, is uncomfortable, and it, and it needs to be acknowledged and validated because it's real. These incidents happen. On the flip side, the people who are creating these situations, they they need they um, it's important for them to not uh, defensiveness is the easiest way to to stop the conversation. Right? right? No, I didn't mean to, or I didn't do, or. I had, you know, oh, but you did that, you know, kind of like when my kid was a little, <laughs> always blaming the other person. Um, um, but more into listening and being more in, in a listening mode, active yeah. listening. Okay, help me understand uh, how should I, you know, how, how would, would you like me to do this or how would you like me to say whichever. So that is, that's the other piece. And also the third piece is uh, standing up to the micro inequity, microaggression. Yeah. So in my case, if I would have said, if I would have heard anything or seen anything, I would have, I would have said, perhaps, you know, you know, Felicia, there's this thing that I would like to bring to your attention. I'm sure it was unintentional, but this, you know, doesn't sit well with me. That's one way. Or I can just say, hey, how about changing this? Right? right. There are many ways to stand up. It's not about pointing fingers and shaming people. Yeah. That is not the idea. The idea is to to learn in community. And I know that is a, a word and, and a topic you want to talk about. So yeah. so this is this is an example on how we can apply community uh, building to this. But this issue, which is really um, controversial and emotional. Community is very personal for me, too, because there's, um, for me, uh, growing up, I felt a sense of otherness. I felt I was different. So for, um, I, I think, probably most of my life, I've always looked for the other and found connection with that mm-hmm. and them. Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, but sometimes people are tired of being identified as the other. 
So like I, I reach and connect to people who I like, who are different, who have a, who have a similar perspective to mine, but it's because of potentially their background or an interest they have or their upbringing or perhaps they have a physical disability or they're an advocate for something or they're an artist. I think sometimes artists are very used to being others. And um, mm. so this sense of like community for me is, is very personal. How do you, how do you think of community? That, that's such a great question. Really, I have to tell you that uh, when I saw that question, uh, the email, I was thinking, wow, okay, I have to really think it through because in the past year, going back to what we were saying um, in terms of all the, you know, the many moments we have lived as a, as a society, I mean, whether it's um, locally, statewide, um, you know, national, global, we have all experienced so many instances where we have been tested and, you know, our resilience has been tested. Our way of, you know, our tolerance for uncertainty has been tested. Mm. And I'm being very broad, but I'm thinking in, you know, most uh, particularly of the pandemic, uh, the political climate and the racial uh, unrest, right? So those are the kind of like the three of themes that I'm thinking, uh, and there could be others. It could be, you know, you can go yeah. deeper in depending on who you are as a woman or as a parent or so forth. So there's a, somebody who works for, you know, like in so many different ways. But for me, it's like, I'm just keeping it broad. So, so when I think of community, for me, um, I, com- being part of a community is kind of, is, is part of how I live. No, I am not only because I'm an extrovert. <laughs> I think that has a lot to do with it. I just can't be without, you know, I need that connection with people. So, so to me, it's almost like I don't think about it. It's a very unconscious way of living. So when your question came up, I was thinking, okay, what is that I usually do? You know, it just, it really made me think. So I appreciate that. I actually, I, I made, um, I may write a small blog on this. Um, oh, I love that. Because of this question. Oh, please do. <laughs> I, would, I would love to. <laughs> would it be off of your website, www.ann? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, uh, we'll, uh, say it at the, we'll say your website at the end again so that people know yeah. where to find it or if you put something sure. up on Instagram. Um, yeah, on my, is my website is my name, Anna with two N's, Giraldo, G-I-R-A-L-D-O, Kerr, K-E-R-R, dot com. And my Instagram handle is the same. Anna Geraldo Kerr is a very unusual name. Um, I don't think, you know, and I wanted to hyphenate it so that I can show both of my, you know, my maiden and married name. Yeah. So, um, so in terms of community, I am the way I, after, and, and I'm telling you, this is what a question I had to think because there were so many ways that I could give you examples of and actually part of what, you know, the lived experiences project that I started last year yeah. is an example of community too. Yeah. But in how to define it, I arrived at this. It's more of community to me is having the courage to show up for yourself and for each other. Mm. You know, having the courage because I, I see a lot of pseudo-communities where people are just hanging out. Right. And maybe that's what they need. But for me, 
uh, because of the work I do and because of um, my really strong commitment to try to create inclusive and equitable spaces in my area where I, where I live in particular and hopefully beyond that and the work I do with leadership uh, development, I feel like I want more than that. I just don't want it kind of like a hangout place. You know, being in the park with other people, maybe just kind of getting to know each other. Maybe that's step one, right? But to me is being intentional about having a building community. And for that, you need courage. I mean, not only to be there with others, because then people, you know, we're all human. We tend to judge each other. We tend to kind of like check, oh, okay, look, you know. Um, and lately people were talking about, I mean, with um uh, pandemic and so forth, people are like, oh, I'm just wearing my PJs, right? And it was kind of like a funny thing to say, but that, but it's now that we're getting back to being out again, people are starting to go back to their old habits and kind of checking people out and, you know, and, and, and kind of, do I really want to be part, you know, do I want to engage with? So, so for community to exist intentionally, there needs to be an element of courage to engage with others and, you know, with compassion and hopefully non-judgment, but also to, to, to be, to show up for yourself. So it's not only external, it's, as to, I see it as a two-way street. It's to feed yourself because we, we live in community. Uh, humans are wired to be social. You've probably heard this many times mm-hmm. as coaches, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is, and community is what feeds that. That's beautiful. I, I, th- I connect a lot to the courage part. I've, um, with the pandemic, um, I'm, I, I'm a pretty extreme introvert. So <laughs> it, I hear you. It, it, it worked for me because, um, I could still kind of pick and choose, um, who I connected to, um, and, mm-hmm. and why. But I also took the time to do some learning and exploration because I, I love to learn and I like to read. Um, but I, um, I took to heart a lot of the things that were happening in the news and um, it made me rethink my sense of um, privilege. It made me rethink my sense of um, how hard it must be to be a person of color in the world and just, um, uh, you know, redoing some reading. I I started reading um, how to be an anti-racist and this idea that um, it's not a fixed identity. Um, so you may have a bias or a, or a racist thought or a racist action or a biased action, but that it's not a fixed identity. It may be mm-hmm. a thought or a moment in time and you can yep. learn to be different. So there has to be some courage in that exploration. There has to be some self-reflection in that. I also took some coursework in mediation and one of the things that you're always trying to do in a mediation as a mediator is be a neutral and we're not Mm -hmm. like you just said we're not necessarily neutral people we come with a lens and that that that, you know informs our background and also probably how we present in the world and then how we look at the world and you need to kind of check in with yourself and your co-mediator and say 
what bias is coming up for me. It might be right. it might be socioeconomic, it might be racial, it might be gender, it might be language, it might be <clears throat> it could be such a variety on a spectrum. And in that moment, you have to be willing to be self-aware. So you have to have a little courage to kind of dig below the surface and know that we don't all show up even if we're fairly centered and open-minded as like completely Zen and neutral in any kind of space. So, right. And, and bias, you know, is not, um, we tend to associate bias with a negative, right? So when we are biased against somebody, we exclude them or don't pay attention to them or, or put them down and so forth. But there's the positive, there's the halo effect. So we could be, you know, in your case with me as a mediator, you could be somebody could remind you of somebody that you're fond of. And then then you unconsciously maybe, you know, starting to, uh, you know, your notes may be a little different because you're kind of unknowingly favoring this person. You know, so it bias is a very tricky thing. And and becoming aware that 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 is behind our, our the way we see the world is, is key in, in as mediators, as coaches, as parents, just as members of society. Yeah, yeah, that it's 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 huge. Tell me a little bit more about the um, the lived experience project, lived experiences project. Yeah, we we um, purposely named it in plural because um, generally uh, when we talk about um, inclusion and equity work. Uh, and you may have heard there's if you Google lived experience, that is the term that is used to show somebody's you know how the the uh, how they've lived their life because of who they are, right? And um, and that is usually encompasses the, the singular encompasses like the whole gamut of a person's life uh, experience. So. We wanted to be intentional about the, the plural because we wanted to um, highlight that there were several, there was, uh, again, a community. There were many people, many voices here. And I guess we, you could argue we could have, we could have uh, said lived experience of the community, right? But anyway, but we wanted to make that point because there's not one voice, it's many voices. And what happened there was, um, like any other community, I suppose, um, my community, my town, uh, where, where I live, was shook up with the uh, killing of George Floyd uh, last year. And uh, on the Facebook page of the town where I live, there were many um, posts kind of talking about race and race relations and kind of, but, you know, only so far, right? And then some people uh, started to share their own experiences uh, with a race. And uh, there was one family in particular who um, she was very uh, vocal and very uh, transparent about their experience in our town. They had been in Needham for about three years, and actually they left la- last June because they, they feared for their lives. This is how how uh, serious this was. So they were sharing what had happened uh, to them, several different uh, experiences throughout this three-year span. And there were people who did not, who questioned them, the people who put them down, people who said, just forget it, it was a joke. 
Oh, probably. You know, we are nice people. We don't do that here. You know, you must be, you probably misunderstood, right? And um, that really made me angry. And probably because of my experience with uh, researching and, and, you know, facilitating discussions on micro inequities and, and micro um, aggressions, uh, that it really, you know, my, my antenna was really up. And it really annoyed me that people wouldn't believe this family. And so I, I was able to reach out to them and we talked for hours confidentially. And it was not just a tiny slight. It was not, I mean, there were actually the, the father had been uh, physically, uh, you know, punched and, and, and oh my uh, assaulted. And, and so it was, it had escalated, you know, in many different ways. So I was really mad that people were not being compassionate and, um, and people say, no, this is just never happened. There were a few other people showing up with their own stories. And again, put down some people, oh, I'm so sorry. And that's it. We moved on. So there was no, I wanted more, I guess. And so I uh, connected with a friend who connected me with a social scientist uh, who also lives in town. And the two of us decided to, um, she applied her, her expertise through a survey and um, my expertise is more on the qualitative side, you know, collecting stories. So we did, and we collected 93 stories in a two-month period oh uh, of stories of racial discrimination or identity-based discrimination in, in our town. And um, that's where we started. It was, it's been a very interesting experience, to say the least. Um, we've had the whole spectrum from people that have been so, um, have felt so validated because, oh my God, this happened to me too. Thanks for bringing this up to the open. We want, we want to really to amplify those voices that very rarely in a town that is 85% white, um, we, we used to hear. Now there's a little bit more. Things are starting to change as we just actually elected the first black man and an Indian Asian woman to the select board, which is the highest office, leadership office, governance in our town. So things have changed. It's not, you know, doesn't mean that now all these incidents are going to go away. It's the beginning, right? So so that's what we did with the project. We started to uh, float the idea around the we created a report. And there was, uh, from thanks, from thank yous, to push back and everything in between, questioning the, the methodology, you name it. You know, it's been a very interesting exercise in um, because folks are not, we are not comfortable. As, as humans, I guess, are not all, most of us are not comfortable with, with uh, change and, and uncertainty. And even folks said, why are you re-traumatizing people? And my, my answer is usually, we didn't, we, is a volunteer uh, effort right. for them. They don't have to disclose. Uh, and for most, for all the folks that I've talked to, they have felt relief and acknowledgement yeah. by, by sharing their story. So there's power you know, in it's, sharing it's, their stories. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, but it's, um, it's been a very, uh, and we are now in the, in the second round of collections. We don't know what will happen since since last June. Yeah. Um, many other 
different initiatives are happening in town in different ways. And, but we still, in my opinion, we still stand out because no one is doing uh, qualitative research, which is what this is, is we're collecting stories uh, based on, you know, the, the first accounts, right? The person, how the person experienced an incident. So, and, and the good thing about this is that this is, um, there are also stories of abstanders or, you know, active bystanders. So when somebody, for example, in the school playground was told, oh, you cannot play because you are this or that, there was another kid and I said, that's not right. She can play. And we have those stories. So it's not only, uh, yes, the focus is on the micro, um, you know, the aggressions and inequities, yeah. but there is some upstanding stories and there is another which I, <laughs> this is another another um, conversation, but there's also a flip side of affirmations, which is the flip side of microaggressions, by the way. There's microaffirmations when you actually um, engage in incidents to uplift and validate people, you see? So it's not only the aggressions, is only part of the story. Yeah. So, so we are hoping to um, expand our the way we communicate this, so it's not only we wanted to put the spotlight on the um, the negative to wake people up. You know, it's part of when you're healing, you want to heal. Absolutely. You have to see where is where is the problem, what's happened where before is you the heal. Wound? Yeah, right. The wound? And the wound is is painful. It's painful to go there, and that's what we've been experiencing. So, but we're hopeful, and this is all grassroots. Lots, um, we're thankful to volunteers. I'm thankful to my my partner in crime, Nicole Argo, which I will mention her name. Um, she's been um, essential to this work, and um, many volunteers who have helped us. And uh, we're just doing this to see where it takes us. Um, you know. Oh, it's amazing. I've I read some of the stories when you had sent me to the website and. Um they're very, I got very emotional because it was very, they were very hard to read and it was very, um, it made me sad, but it also was, um, an, a good exercise because like you said, these are, this is, this is one incident, but it's probably an accumulation of a lot of different things that have happened to this. This just happens to be the one thing that they chose to share that yeah. happened in your community. Um, I think what you're getting to, too, is the other part of, um, you know, creating, creating connections through conversation is that's a conversation that you're having. You're having a conversation with those people about their stories. But like you said, there may be other things like had you thought of inviting the people, people to talk about when they have um, when, like the, the offenders kind of have you thought about yeah, we, well, we purposely uh, collected stories anonymously. So yeah. we don't know who the parties were. I mean, some of the folks who did share the stories, and this was all uh, based on an online survey. So, and we gave them the choice to disclose, you know, who they were and so forth yeah. and, and give us a, an email. But um, most, I think um, 100% of the responses were anonymous. So people just wanted to let it out. And it. Uh, so we, there's no way of knowing who they were. And, um, and if they mentioned a, you know, um, certain organization in the, in the town or certain individual, um, our intent was not to 
publicize that is more of focusing on the individual who experienced the the aggression yeah. or the you know the the incident. That that makes so, sense. You don't want to necessarily focus on the the other half of the equation right now. It's more important, like you said, to give spotlight and time and and um, a voice to the people who this has happened to because they deserve their story to to be viewed on its own regardless of who said it or the you know right and, and the other piece of that is that we also want we had not realized this and again because you know um myself in particular i think nicole definitely has her eye on this type of topic so i think her reach is a bit broader uh, but so you you know once you're kind of always looking at this type of um events as professionally then you kind of you have a different perspective right so to me i was not one of the learning personally was uh, how the amount of a lack of awareness that was out there because when we made the report public people kept coming to us saying i had no idea i had no idea to the point that in, in last fall there was a um town meeting uh, and um, they did it outdoors and so forth. It's 240 um, members of town meeting making decisions on the town, different areas of you know town government. And there was a, uh, a warrant article, a citizens warrant article, to um, ask the town to do a, a race audit of, of the different parts of town, you know, housing, school, police, and so forth and so on. And um, it passed. Uh, I think it was two thirds of the votes went in favor of it. And a lot of the references when, when town meeting members spoke was to the report. He said, I read this report. I had no idea this was going on in town. I read. So to us, I was thinking to myself, wow, I had no idea that people didn't know. <laughs> well, I should have because, you know, again, the majority is not the. the a group that is usually on the receiving end, so they are not aware, right? To your point about privilege, right? When you have privilege, you're like, oh, everybody should be probably experiencing things like me. It's like, no, your privilege <laughs> doesn't, you know, you know, keeps you from that. So um, people were, we opened a lot of people's eyes, and that was a huge step. So to your point about now reaching to the other side, and kind of how to repair, how to restore, you know, if you think of restorative justice approaches, that is what we are after is not necessarily that, is more awareness. And then how do we change the town's culture and approach to um, diversity, inclusion, and equity? That is what we're looking at. So more of a systemic or a structural a way as opposed to um, the individual, because again, one is difficult. We it's seen it would be seen more as a punitive approach as opposed to a restorative or, pro- or proactive approach. Got it. Yeah, what you um, it's tough because one of the things that I um, definitely realized even more so this summer was. Uh, like that bubble that privilege provides you, uh, right? And the the um, 
you don't know what you don't know sometimes. And you could have inklings of something, but you, you may or may not fully realize it. And it takes a bit to sit with that and then kind of say, okay, where's my blind spot? Like where, what am I not seeing here? And then, um, I, maybe because of coach training, maybe because of who I am, maybe because I'm a curious learner, I tried to find more ways to sort of educate myself about it. And, and, um, it's not always comfortable, but you, I don't know. I have, I, I think through learning you, um, you can only grow your capacity for, understanding and empathy and learning and um there's a resilience to that too because then you're like wow if that person got through this then maybe i can get through my thing so then you start to find ways to identify i guess or understand yeah it's definitely a um an ongoing effort is muscles that you have to build awareness muscles resilience muscles empathy emotional intelligence, uh, compassion for others and for yourself, because I I firmly believe this, and, and I say this after having thought about it for a long time. Uh, sometimes I don't, you know, the people that are the, let's call them perpetrators, right, or the ones that actually say something, they, they're not, doesn't fit well with you. you it's hard for you, at least for me, for, oh, I can't believe they said that or they did that. And and I feel, so I get mad at myself for not being able to feel compassion for that person. So it's almost like compassion needs to be a core ingredient for for both for them and for you. But it's okay. You know, it's okay to feel frustrated and angry because that hurt you. It's normal. Normalizing the, the, the process, the emotional process of going through this is so important. And I think we, um, as a society, we tend to just be in such a doing mode, you know, now, particularly now that we are supposedly going back to a, the new normal or whichever normal version of normal you want to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, oh, now we're going back to, to it's going to be all kind of make making up this is my prediction making trying to make up for what we missed out right there's that lack okay when we start on this we missed out on vacation missed us and um so we're going to be so busy and i wonder if you know maybe not everybody but i'm wondering if, if there's this whole past year hopefully will leave us with you know what if i didn't get to wear my shoes, my heels, or whatever, or go to the movies, or this, but somehow we were okay. And that is so hard. I'm saying this as a, for, for everyone and for myself, including myself, because we're also eager to just jump back into what it used to be, right? And what we felt comfortable, what we had the con- control. And now it's almost like some of the control has been taken away by a virus, by, by social uh, unrest, and so on. Yeah. So what's uh, what's one thing that you learned during quarantine and what's one thing that you're looking forward to in post the post uh, covid world? Well, I, 
one thing, I mean, there's several, and one of, you know, I started to say a little bit about that in my previous comment, but uh, building on that, one thing I've learned is that I, I can make it work no matter what. I was, um, the sense of community that I am used to um, pre-COVID, I was able to replicate that virtually. So I had some of my coaching colleagues and I convened a couple of meetings and we were, you know, on Zoom, right? We were Zooming, but, but it, what was the alternative to be, you know, moping on the side? No, no, I wanted to connect with them and I wanted to check with them too, see how people were doing. So to me, that was important. So that I was happy to, you know, to engage in my resourcefulness to do that. So. That, that is one that comes to mind. And, and I was able to also connect with my high school uh, friends from way back when. And this is, I'm talking about people from Peru, right, where I went to, uh, to school. And we had almost everyone from all over the world, Greece, Spain, uh, Japan, you know, and all over the U.S. And it was it was beautiful. So to me, the sense of community was not lost. It was just, if anything, magnified. So that was really exciting. Um, that's something that I'm thankful for. In, in terms of what I'm looking forward to do, I don't have, I mean, vacation will be nice, you know, speaking out loud, but, but I'm not, I'm not dying to do anything. I'm not, I'm not dying to kind of, I have to go shopping, you know, and go to the mall or something. I, I can always shop. <laughs> that is definitely something. Uh, but I maybe the one thing that I, I miss is a live performance. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe a concert. I think music is something is a, is part of, of my it feeds my soul. Yeah. And um, live performance in person. We we did live performances online because um, I also responsible for some library programming here in town. But it's not the same. Right, right. <laughs> so I think that would be that will be a, something that I as I'm thinking about this a little bit more. So thank you for that question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm. I was supposed to get married. Um, so oh my we, we've we postponed our wedding four times. So wow. Um, <clears throat> so we have a date now in October, and um, fingers crossed that will happen but my um my partner is a musician and um so he's been anxious to get back into playing a show and we're all com- we're, we are all vaccinated now in our home so we're very excited awesome. so the um <clears throat> the ability to go out and see live music is definitely forefront but we have a trip to italy planned in september so that was something oh. we were supposed to do last year, but we're going to do it this year. So That's awesome. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Tri- travel is always on my list. For some reason, I'm not, you know, I'm a little cautious, uh, but I definitely would love to do some traveling at one point. Maybe we'll just go, you know, around the area for now until yeah. we feel we're not 100% comfortable with the air travel yet. Yep. So maybe yep. next year, but... Yeah, no, live performance. I am um, I'm definitely, I don't know, let's, let's see what's come up uh, in terms of scheduling. But, um, yeah. 
Um, so I, I know that you have a, um, a time that you need to stop by. Is there anything sort of in closing that we didn't cover that you'd like to share about your work or about, I mean, there's so many topics that we could have talked about. But. <laughs> yeah, I, um, the, the one topic and, you know, I'm hoping that folks who listen to this will be, um, willing to connect. I'm all about connection and building community, as you uh, heard. And so anyone who wants to explore further topics like equity, inclusion, leadership, mentoring, how do we make this work? I'm always looking to talk to people just to connect. You know, and also I am very seriously, and uh, this is an exclusive solution, <laughs> uh, thinking of um, starting my own podcast. I think it so, would be fantastic. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I can always talk. <laughs> uh, so uh, whether um, so, I'm always looking to learn from others and hopefully collaborate with others as well. So anyone who is interested in in um, we, I don't I I just want to preface my comments with you know we may not have the answer and we're not the answer. It would be too simple to just get to the answer. Is this Topics like leadership, equity, inclusion um, are so nuanced and yeah. they are very, you know, it'll be the solution or a formula is not going to be the way to, to make a, a, an impact. It's yeah. about, you know, more how do we kill the layers and how do we get to, you know, what, what can you do in, you, in your environment? Right. So, so I'm interested in talking to folks um, in, in, in any way that they want to do it. So hopefully um, we can, um, you know, we can chat and keep, um, you know, getting the, the world in a better place. I think a that's bit, a, you know, one conversation at a time, right? Yeah, that's a really important part that you just brought up, too. There's no sort of how-to or formula or recipe that you can just apply. It's not like one size fits all. It sounds like you're going in and you're talking about language and culture and environment. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of the things that you just talked about with mentors, too, I... I was reading recently um, that you should have a mentor. Like people always think younger people are are your mentees, but you should have a younger person or a person of a different generation mentor you. Absolutely, and there is a. I think that there's a term reverse mentoring. Yeah. You know when folks folks um, and usually what I've seen it in in pairs who were the young mentor is has expertise, usually technology or science, yep. where the older mentee is, you know, been, uh, is learning from that. So there's there's all types, and, and that's a different way of looking at the role or the function of mentoring. So before, it's always mentor has to be the older person that has experience. Guess what? Younger people have experience now in some areas that we don't. And they have a, sometimes they have a more fluid or flexible way of mm. um, thinking about culture or community. Absolutely. That is um, like my, my teenager, she, it, it's very, it was a newer idea for me to be in a group that where someone identified as a them. And mm-hmm. um, so I was tripped up a little bit by it, but now it's like nothing to say them 
when you're referring to that person. And I said to her, do you, do you know of anyone who's a them? And she goes, do you mean non-binary? And I was like, I was like, oh, is that, was that offensive the way that I said that? And she, cause it's a very like, it's a non-issue for her. Like it's not right. something she has to learn. It's something she's grown up with. So I was yeah. like, oh, wow, like this is, it's a new new thing for me. And I didn't recognize the whole thing about why is it, why is it important to put your pronouns after your name when you're in a meeting or you're sending an email. And it may or not be a precious thing for me, but it helps identify that I understand how to use that language for someone else. Absolutely. It is. Um for sure, kids and the younger generation is teaching us, uh, and it's up to us, the grown-up, experienced, quote-unquote, adults, to be open to learning to learning from them. Well, you've... It's not, it's not always easy, though, I have to say. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but I appreciate so much this conversation, and I appreciate all the the nuances and the flexibility. And I think I said this to you offline, but I'll say it online as well, that the kindness that you bring to the conversation. And, um, I think there's also courage in it. And I, um, I have learned things and I look forward to hearing you on a podcast. And if you ever want a guest, I'm happy to play podcast with you. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation, Felicia. I'm so grateful for the invitation, and um, this is just my day. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And again, if people want to find you, it's your website. It's www.annagirraldokerr.com. Right. Just below the surface. I've been contemplating my affinity for icebergs recently. They're misunderstood. Seen as a solid mass, menacing, a symbol for impending danger. When I watched the Titanic, I rooted for the iceberg. It was the underdog in that movie. Icebergs are not a uniform collection, but layers of dust, debris, stories, and fresh water. Forged over time on land, they move toward the salt water every time, even though eventually it eats them away. Floating and having objects crash into us, a part of their surroundings but wholly their own, we're both fragile and strong, seen and unseen, identified only by a visible part. As bergs melt, they deposit nutrients into the ocean. This sustains sea life. I am a sponge trying to soak up all the good ideas for redistribution, leaving thoughts, maybe inspiration, and understanding behind, floating along without dropping off too many parts, delaying the process of time that dissolves me. Hi Felicia is produced by Felicia Ryan and she retains all broadcast rights and copyrights to this program. Theme music provided by Stephanie Griffin. Sound editing and technical support by Heather McCormick. 
Hi Felicia is supported in part by a generous grant from the Malden Cultural Council and recorded in cooperation with UMA Urban Media Arts in downtown Malden. You can find Hi Felicia on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, and most platforms that podcasts are found. Please take the time to like, write a review, and share this program. You are our ears. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Hi Felicia or how to support this podcast or to suggest future guests, please go to www.feliciaryan.com. That's www.feliciaryan.com. And again, thanks for listening.